0: Again, and happy Lord's Day and happy Mother's Day to all of the mothers out there and grandmothers and all who are in the roles of mothering. And I do want to thank you all so much for your prayers for me. I very much appreciate your prayers, uh, particularly today. It has been a, quite a difficult week uh, for my family, but uh, thank you so much for that, and know that uh, my blessed sister is now in the presence of the Lord, and so that I take great confidence in. Well, I went to the history page, to. How many of you actually know about the history of Mother's Day? Does anybody know much about where Mother's Day came from? I did not know a lot, so I had to Google. Well, um, on the history page, it says the official Mother's Day holiday arose in the 1900s. As a result of the efforts of a lady by the name of Anna Jarvis, she was the daughter of Ann Reeves Jarvis. Following her mother's death, Anna Jarvis conceived of Mother's Day as a way of honoring the sacrifices mothers made for their children. So after gaining financial backing from a uh, Philadelphia department store owner named John Wanamaker, in May of 1908, she organized the first official Mother's Day celebration at a Methodist church in Grafton, West Virginia. That same day also sold saw thousands of people attend a Mother's Day event at one of the Wanamaker's retail stores in Philadelphia. Following the success of her her first Mother's Day, Jarvis, who remained, get this, she remained unmarried and she was childless her whole life. She resolved to see her holiday added to the national calendar. Arguing that American holidays were biased toward male achievements, she started a massive letter-writing campaign to newspapers and prominent politicians urging the adoption of a special day honoring motherhood. So by 1912, many states, towns, and churches had adopted Mother's Day as an annual holiday. And Jarvis had established the Mother's Day International Association to help promote her cause. Her persistence paid off in 1914 when President Woodrow Wilson signed a measure officially establishing the second Sunday in May as Mother's Day. Anna Jarvis had originally conceived of Mother's Day as a day of personal celebration between mothers and their families. Her version of the day involved wearing a white carnation as a badge and visiting one's mother or attending church. But once Mother's Day became a national holiday, it was not long before florists, card companies, and other merchants capitalized on its popularity. I remember as a child, we used to wear red rose on Mother's Day, pick one right off the rose bush, put it on the lapel signifying mother was still alive. While Jarvis had initially worked with the floral industry to help raise Mother's Day's profile, by 1920 she had become disgusted with how the holiday had been commercialized. She outwardly denounced the transformation and urged people to stop buying Mother's Day flowers, cards, cards, And candies. Sometimes you have to be careful what you wish for, for you may actually get it. (laughs) And that's what happened with her. Little uh, question Did you know that more phone calls are made on Mother's Day than any other day of the year? Jarvis eventually resorted to an open campaign against Mother's Day, profiteers speaking out against confectioners, florists, and even charities. She also launched countless lawsuits against groups that had used the name Mother's Day, eventually spending most of her personal wealth in legal fees. By the time of her death in 1948, Jarvis had disowned the holiday altogether and even actively lobbied the government to see if it could be removed from the American calendar after she wanted it there. (laughs) So now you know the history behind Mother's Day. And for some, that may be more than you wanted to know. The fact of the matter is that Mother's Day can be a most happy day. But for some, it can also be a day of sadness my heart goes out for those who have lost their mother or child or children for this this can be a very hard time i know personally this will be a very difficult mother's day for my mother and having lost her one and only daughter out of seven children praying that the lord will grant an extra measure of grace and strength to those mothers today. And wanted to, we're going to be walking through the book, literally walking through Proverbs 31. Uh, I wanted to know, what does a modern mom look like? So, once again, I Googled and it says, the modern mom is a mom who, understands herself as her core self first, mom second. So I'm number one, and being a mommy is number two. That's the modern mom. She understands and accepts that things change in life, and she takes the time necessary to realign what needs realigning. May that be herself, her relationships, her career, or something else. The modern mo- mom values her partner, if she has one, and children as much as she values her friendships and hobbies. She does not sacrifice who she is and what she stands for. The modern mom knows that happiness is a choice, and she actively seeks and attracts a life-filled life field color we're not talking about the modern mom today we're going to be talking about the proverbs 31 excellent woman so turn with me if you would to proverbs 31 and we're going to be walking through this section of proverbs 31. so put your seat belts on and let's get going there are many words of wisdom given throughout the book of Proverbs. This book was really a book of wisdom that parents were to give to their children. and really still is the book of wisdom. We have used it oftentimes around the table in our home. Having the daily readings, how many are there? 31. How many days in the month normally? 30, 31. So you can read one a day. It was really a practical manual for living that Jewish parents taught their children. In many of the early chapters in the book of Proverbs, much is addressed to young men. He gives warning against the adulterous. In Proverbs five and verse three, that says, "For the lips and adulteress drip honey, and smoother than oil is her speech." Proverbs seven ten says, "She is boisterous and rebellious; her feet do not remain at home." In verse thirteen of Proverbs seven, says, "So she seizes him and kisses him." Sounds familiar? Does it sound like someone else in Scripture who was seized by a woman? Hello. Who was it? Joseph, Joseph. exactly. Joseph ring a bell. What did Joseph do when in this situation? He ran. I was just talking with my sons about this the other day while on a long ride in the car about how women try to entice and seduce you. I will never forget Literally, sitting at my godly grandmother's feet, hearing her, and she lived to be 96, she had many years of wisdom. She said to me that she had never lay with a man before she got married. Now, that stuck with me. It stuck with me. And by God's grace, when I married my beautiful bride, I was able to have a similar testimony that I had never lay with a woman. And by the Lord's grace, my wife had the same testimony, having never been with another man. That's sometimes unheard of in this day and age. People think you are a fuddy dud. You're old-fashioned. You call it what you will. It's biblical. The Bible has not changed, beloved. It is the same as it was when my dear grandmother was reading this precious book. Still precious. Still the same word of God. What was the clincher for me is what Joseph said to Potiphar's wife when she kept urging him to lie with her. And Joseph said in, in Genesis 39:9, How then could I do this great evil and sin against whom? God. It was not so much of what that what you were doing with another person, but how can you do this against God? Solomon gives great admonition and urges men to stay away from certain types of women that was mentioned before, such as loud, and he also warns against quarrelsome women and foolish women. In Proverbs twenty-five, twenty-four, in the English Standard Version, it says, "It is better to live in the corner of the housetop than a house shared with a quarrelsome woman." Then, in Proverbs twelve, in verse four, Solomon turns the corner a bit and says. An excellent wife is the crown of her husband, but she who shames him is like rottenness in his bones. In Proverbs 19:14, Solomon gives some encouragement about the type of wife to find. He says at the end of verse 14, but a prudent wife is from the Lord. So all throughout the book of Proverbs, there are lots of instructions on what type of woman to avoid or to stay away from. And then we come to the high point in chapter 31, which talks about the type of woman to find which is a wise woman, a virtuous woman, a godly woman, an excellent wife. Now looking at Proverbs 31 in verse one, it says, the words of King Lemuel, the oracle which his mother taught him. We don't know very much about King Lemuel. Neither do we know much about his mother for that sake. But what we do know is that his Jewish mother wanted to give him some wisdom about picking out a wife. One of the first things his mother was telling him in verses 2 to 3, what, oh, my son, and what, oh, son, of my womb, and what, oh, son, of my bowels? I know that's how you talk to your friends, go around and use that type of language to them. Here she is saying to King Lemuel, How can I instruct you, and what can I say to you, and what do I tell you? And one of the first things she told him was found in verse 3 was, do not give your strength to women. In other words, she was saying, do not get caught up in sexual immorality. She tells him to stay away from strong drink and drunkenness. In verse 4, she tells him to take care of the needy. In verse 9, she kindly gives him all of these admonitions about caring for the needy and dealing right with people and other practical truths. But she gets to the juggler in verses 10 to 31, which describes the kind of wife he needs to find. This entire section of Proverbs 31 is really a poem. Did you know that? It's a poem. Each verse starts out with the letter of the Hebrew alphabet. If you know some Hebrew, <clears throat> the first Hebrew uh, letter is olive which is similar to our letter A. The second one is faith, similar to our B. And so on and so on. It goes all the way through to verse 31. The woman that King Lemuel is talking about has a value that no amount of money can be put on. He is... talking about a woman who is strong spiritually, mentally, morally, and physically. Above anything else, she has a great and reverent love for Almighty God. So in verse 10, the question is asked, an excellent wife who can find? I have, and her name is Lucretia, and she's my hero. He goes on to say, for her worth is far above jewels. The word excellent here means substance. This means she is a woman who is strong spiritually, physically, mentally, and morally. This kind of woman is a woman who makes a difference. She leaves her mark. It also says here in verse 10 that her worth is far above jewels. Some have said that this refers to rubies or to pearls, I know a lot of you like those. Some of you may get them today. Some of you may have them. Those are all very precious jewels. But probably the best translation here would be precious stones. In other words, she is more valuable than any earthly material thing, which are so-called valuable. So in this sense, she is very rare and a woman of rare fortune. So yes, it is hard to find this kind of women, young men. So let's look a little further in this poem. We we will look at her character, her dedication, her kindness, her influence, her motherhood, and her excellence. Let's look at some of the qualities of this rare woman. Looking at her character first in verse 11. There once was a time when a person's character was important, was it not? Character, character, character was important. Now, that does not seem to be the case, unfortunately. The heart of her husband trusts in her, and he will have no lack of game. So this is saying that she is a trustworthy woman, and she knows that when her husband goes off to work that she does not have to be concerned about someone running off with her husband. What you have to understand is that in the Jewish world, women were regarded somewhat as property, and many of the husbands would see them only as servants and would have concubines, other women, for their intimacy. By the same token, the husband is not suspicious of his wife. The reason being because she is a woman of integrity. That's another thing that we don't see today valued in society, integrity, being a person of integrity. Very important. Recently I received a letter from a dear friend I had, years ago when we were at a church in California, I would talk in a class there, and we had the people purchase their material with, um, they gave us their cash or whatever. Well, we moved away and came here, And we had that cash with us. And we, I remember my wife saying, that's the Lord's money. Don't touch that. So we kept it in a drawer. It was in a drawer for 16 years. Never, you know, touched that money. So I sent it back recently to this pastor. And he said to me, I want you to keep that money because of your integrity to do something like that for that many years. Integrity is huge. Be marked as a person of integrity. And at the end of the verse it says, and he will have no lack of gain. In other words, he knows that she will not go and blow all of the hard-earned money that he has worked for. Oftentimes, the Jewish culture, the husband would lock up all of his valuables when going on a trip in fear that his wife would steal them. The proverb 31 woman stewards the resources well and manages the household with great care. This is why he does not have to be concerned, knowing that she would take care of the things of the household so that he can go off and do all that he needs to do and do his job. In verse 12 it says, she does him what? Good and not harm. It's not much commentary there beloved. (laughs) Pretty self-explanatory. She speaks well of him. She builds him up, not tears him down. She never takes things from him and would never want anyone in the household to not trust him or believe in him. King Lemuel adds this, the phrase, all the days of her life. This means that in times of good, in plenty, and we've had some of those, and she speaks well during bad times and sickness. We've had those times as well. Remember your wedding vows you said for what? and for better or worse. So there come some good times, there come some bad times. When a, when a husband trusts in his wife and gets no lack of gain, the benefit to her husband is what is said of him in verse 23 of Proverbs 31, which says, her husband is known in the gates. And this was a very influential area, legal system, you would say. And if, Her husband was well-known there. He could sit among the elders and be spoken very well of. In other words, he has a good reputation, and this allows him freedom to be all that the Lord has called him to be. This speaks of her thinking of him and others more than herself. The wife wants to make sure that her husband has a good reputation. We looked at her character. Then we move on to verse 13, looking at her dedication, which says, she looks for wool and flats and works with her hands in the light. So what is this all about? Talking about wool and flats? This is talking about the fact that she is a homemaker. This woman would not would go out and look for a quality material, in this case, namely wool. Wool will be used for clothing that will be worn when? In the winter, in the cold season. When it was cold, and yes, there were seasons of cold in Israel, and even snow at times. Flax, on the other hand, which I don't know much about, I don't know if you do, (laughs) was a material used for linen, which is wool, uh, but it would be used in the hot seasons or the summertime. So wool, on the other hand, is used in the wintertime, and linen would be used in the hot seasons or in the summer time. The idea here is that she goes out to find the best her hands can find and turns it into clothing. Her godliness and virtue do not make her out to be a lazy woman. Quite the contrary. She is full of energy and has many things to do throughout the day. And someone will come along, some, I don't know, egghead, I guess, come along and say, Is that all you do is be a homemaker? What? Excuse me, getting up early. If you have little children feeding the baby, changing diapers, making breakfast, making lunches, washing dishes, washing clothes, keeping the house, bathing children, preparing supper, teaching lessons, reading books, to name a few, and so on and so on it goes. And someone will say, is that all you do? Just saying. Go figure. And in verse 14, it says, she is like, A merchant ship, she brings her food from afar. This meant that she would go to whatever distance she had to to get a variety and good quality of food. And she would not call the local Israel DoorDash or the local Jerusalem pickup and delivery. She had to W-A-L-K. She had to walk. She would carefully pick out what she thought would be best for her husband and the rest of the family. Verse 15 says, she rises also while it is still night and gives food to her household and portions to her maidens. In most Jewish homes, there were little lamps with a little oil in them. The wick would last as long as the oil was in the lamp. Get this. Most of the Jewish households went to bed around sundown which meant that the oil would not last all through the night. It was usually the wife's responsibility to come and put more oil in the lamp. So the women would normally get up a little after midnight and put oil in the lamp, keeping it lit, and then start doing the work that has to be done for the day, such as grinding corn and preparing the meals for the day and doing whatever she needed to do to make sure there was a meal prepared for breakfast when everyone got up and only a few hours later and they didn't have all the gadgets and the machinery and things to make this. Remember, they were doing it by hand. That's what you call a dedicated woman. When it says portions to her maidens here, it's speaking of portions of work here not portions of food. I know we as gods like to think about that. <laughs> but she's Talking about portions of work. So when she got up to tend to the lamps, her maidens would also get up and she would give them tasks that they were responsible for for the day. In verse 16 says, She considers a field and buys it. From her earnings, she plants a vineyard. You say, Well, she bought a field? Wouldn't that cost a lot? I know we have quite a few who do farming here and. I think they would probably agree that it would cost a lot to buy a field, wouldn't it? Would it not? I think so. <laughs> I hear some, I see some heads nodding. So where did she get the money from to do this? And b- before you say it, it wasn't from her husband. In verse 24, it says, she makes linen garments and sells them and supplies belts to the tradesmen. In other words, she would sell them to all the Canaanites and Phoenician sailors of the world. So she'd make a little extra money, and when opportunity came to buy a field, she bought it and planted the vineyard and oftentimes would make wise investments to assist her husband as well as for children and grandchildren. So she was thinking about her generation, about her children, her grandchildren, and so on. In verse 17, it says, she girds herself with strength and makes her arms strong. When it says she girds herself with strength, this speaks of the fact that she is surrounded or wrapped in strength. She's a strong woman. She is strong in terms of being committed to her family. When King Lemuel says, and makes her arms strong, she is a strong woman physically. And this is not because she goes to the gym and is doing weightlifting. It probably comes from her lifting pots and pans and babies and all other types of things as she's doing these different tasks throughout the day. It would be hard work. Verse 18 says, She senses that her gain is good. Her lamp does not go out at night. This refers to the fact that she makes a profit off of the vineyard she planted. Their entire family profits from this. She is not out for her own gain or good like the modern woman. She is out for the good of her family. It says at the end of the verse that her lamp does not go out at night. She was always thinking about others and not herself. In other words, she is not selfish. It reminds me of my dear mother who is always giving and giving and giving. Can't go over there not once and she's not giving me a bag of something, giving me this, giving me, or giving, just continually giving. It's amazing that some people will work all of their lives only to benefit whom? Themselves. Verse 19 says, she stretches out her hands to the distaff and her hands grasp the spindle. What is that? There may have been some nights when the candle did not go out, and on those nights she would spin the wheel, if you will. No, actually, this was the process of spinning the distaff and the spindle and turning the wool and flax into thread, and then she would turn the thread into cloth and take the clothes and cut it into a pattern and would sew garments to clothe the family. All of this spinning wool, spinning flax, making scarlet and linen, and making purple garment, all so that someone else would benefit from them. What a selfless act of love. We've looked at her character and her dedication, and now we look at her kindness in verse 20, which says, She extends her hand to the poor, and she stretches out her hands to the needy. Just as much as she loves and cares for her family, she also loves and cares for those who are not in her family. She would probably clothe and feed the poor and needy when it says she extends her hand to the poor. Those are the poor who come to her when she stretches out her hand, who come to her. And when she stretches out her hands to the needy, these are the ones where she actually goes out and gives food or clothing to the poor. It would be like feeding and clothing the, hum, the homeless in our day. Such a beautiful thing she does. Verse 21 says, she is not afraid of the snow for her household, for all her household are clothed with what? What color? Scarlet. As mentioned before, it snows in Jerusalem. Of course, they did not have modern-day heaters. So how did they keep warm and heat their rooms? It was simply by a pot of coals right there in the middle of the house. And they would huddle all around in their blankets of whatever and keep warm. The the, the scarlet shows that this woman is a classy lady. Normally, the wool would not need to be dyed, but she dyed it. She dyed it deep red in color because that was the color of elegance. Bless you still is because it is beautiful. It was dark because dark clothing does what in reference to heat? Keeps it in. You guys are tracking, thank you. It was scarlet because nothing is as beautiful as scarlet. Verse 22 says she makes coverings for herself. Her clothing is fine linen and purple. This means that she makes pillows, mattresses, and the bedding. What? Pillows? Mattresses? Bedding? Are those easy to make? I don't think so. You may think that is because this woman is so busy with all of her responsibilities and duties that she does not keep herself up. You would think that she would have curlers in her hair when she goes out and a, a robe on, a bath robe on, like we see sometimes. When it says her clothing is fine linen and purple, it is not silk and no gold or pearls, but simply linen. Linen was not very expensive, but was no doubt the best. She would have found the best flax and in turn did the best weaving she could. It was purple because the purple would enhance her beauty. Like, Lucretia's tagline for her business is inside-out beauty, thinking more about a person's heart and not just their outward appearance. Although, men, we do appreciate outward appearance, (laughs) and it is important. (laughs) Then we come to Proverbs 31, the woman as a teacher, in verses 25, which says, strength and dignity are her clothing. And she smiles at the future. She opens her mouth in wisdom, and the teaching of kindness is on her tongue. always like this word in, in Hebrew, it's the word kindness. the way it's said. <laughs> kindness, it sounds almost like that, chassetness. And this was always on her lips. Strength has to do with her spiritually, and dignity has to do with class. She was a very dignified woman. She is a woman of great character, strength, and dignity. This type of teaching goes on all throughout the day, applying Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 6, the Shema. She smiles at the future and has no fear because she knows that everything will be OK because her right relationship with God. She is secure in who she is because her security is found in whom? In Christ. She trusts in God's sovereign hand with all of the issues of life. Verse 26 talks about how she opens her mouth in wisdom. This is not formal classroom teaching. But giving wisdom as she goes along every day. In other words, what comes out of her mouth is for building up in words that are kind, compassionate, and tender. Then we look at her motherhood in verse 27, which says she looks well to the ways of her household and she does not eat the bread of idleness. She takes care of the children well and cares for all the managing of the household. She does not eat the bread of idleness speaks of the fact that she is not lazy. She looks at all that she has on her plate and by the grace of God, she has it all under control. And that is why in verse 28 it says, her children rise up and do what? Bless her. That's why they rise up and bless her. They speak highly of her. They honor her. They give her respect. So mothers, once you have done all the hard work in your younger years, Lord willing, in your latter years, your children will bless you the rest of their lives. They will bless you not only will your children bless you, but your husband also, he praises her, saying, many daughters have done nobly, but you excel them all. Then we return to what is probably the most important part, of Proverbs 31. What, and that is what King Lemuel says in verse 30, which is her excellence. Here most of us know this probably by heart. <clears throat> Charm is what? Deceitful. Beauty is... But a woman who fears the Lord shall be praised. That's the admonition to fear the Lord. And that's what should characterize a godly Proverbs 31 woman. Above all else, that she fears That word charm here means bodily form. That is deceitful. for men and women spend all of their time in the mirror, resources and energy on trying to fulfill what the world tells them about looking a certain way. Young men and guys, the type of woman you want is a woman who does what? Fears the Lord. Reverences the Lord. Not saying that she can't be beautiful, because that is important, too. But you better be sure that her security is wrapped up in the Lord. Because the fact of the matter is, is that your husband or wife can have an accident, can they not? Their body body can be marred, scarred, handicapped. So don't put so much emphasis on the outward appearance. The fact of the matter is that your wife will, should become more and more beautiful as the years pass. Should she not? Yes. I thank the Lord for my Proverbs 31 wife and thank him as well for my Proverbs 31 mother and my Proverbs 31 mother-in-law. I have been and am a blessed, blessed man. May you take to heart these admonitions to strive to be, if you're not, a Proverbs 31 woman who fears and reverences the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, again we pause and come before you as we have our minds have thought on some weighty things as we have looked at this section in Proverbs and it is such a a great reminder for us to remember in all aspects of, of life that we are to fear you God and Father, may you bless the time of celebration that children have with their mothers today, with their grandmothers, with other loved ones. And may you um, allow it to be special and memorable. And even for those who who don't have them, may they have loving, lingering, sweet, endearing memories of their mother and grandmothers and others. We bless you, Lord Jesus. We thank you. We adore you. And we pray all of these things in your name, the name which is above every other name, the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Please uh, stand.